0: Well, again, warm greetings to Ken and Becky for joining us this Lord's Day, uh, down from Spokane, Washington, from Faith Bible Church. Um, we we're, were thinking of you recently uh, in our missions team meeting. I was exhorting the mission team members on some personal exhortations concerning summer missions, and I was telling them a key point about missions, that it is not a time for dating. And I was going around telling them and reminding them, it's not a time to date with one another, Not to date the people there, This date period. And I refer to Marcus and Amy. Look at Marcus and Amy. They met in missions, but they dated afterwards. And then I I remembered, wait a minute, Amy's mom and Ken, they met in missions and they dated during missions this past winter. Well, I remember now, though, Peter gave gave you guys a special elder dispensation (laughs) to date during um, missions and to... Uh, To hear that God has blessed your relationship, you're married, and to see you serve the Lord together, it thrills um, all of our hearts, and we rejoice with God's work at Faith Bible and in your lives as well. Thank you for sending Marcus and Amy down to serve with us. Um, Marcus and the team that went to Kazakhstan uh, on behalf of uh, the elders of Cornerstone, we just want to say, good job, very good job. We're very proud of you. Um, it was a beautiful uh, sight to behold, to hear of how all of you were laboring in the field, uh, the harvest, and proclaiming the gospel so faithfully. It was a beautiful thing to see and to hear. And I speak for, on behalf of Christ all the time, so I'll do so again on behalf of Christ. I will say to the mission team in Kazakhstan, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have brought much glory to the Lord, and we give you praise, and we give you thanks. Well, let's turn to our study in the Gospel of John. We will spend brief time in John 13 and go to Matthew 26 and go through Peter's denials. John 13, if I could illustrate John 13 with one just metaphor, it would be one of a roller coaster. Highs and lows. John 13 began with a great high. The picture of Christ on his knees, washing the feet of sinners. That's as high as you get. And then, the very next passage, it gets low as you can get. Here is one man who just had his feet washed by Christ. Satan enters him, and he intends to betray Jesus Christ. Betray him, be a traitor, and have him murdered. But that's not over. We go back to the high of Christ saying, Now is the Son of Man glorified. And when He is glorified, God Himself will be glorified in Him. As He considers the humiliation, the shame of the cross, He says, Now is my glory. I will be glorified. I will display to the world my humility, my perfect love for the Father, my love for the elect, My submission to God by going to the cross and being forsaken by Him. I will be glorified. And when I am glorified on the cross, I will glorify my Father. Glorify His justice. Glorify His holiness. I will reveal to the world the depth, the breadth, the width of the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That God will demonstrate once for all how much grace is in the heart of God. How much love there is in His heart on the cross. Another high. Well, John 13 ends on a low. Ends in the valley where Christ says, Where I am going, You cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterwards. And then verse 37, Peter said to Him, Lord, why can I not follow You now? I will lay down my life for You. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Christ saying, you will lay down your life for me. Before you lay down your life for me, you must lay down something else. Will you die for me? Before you die for me in your body, you must die, something must die in your heart. Before you physically die for me, you must first die spiritually. Maybe many of us are seeing that this morning. Lord, I want to go to Kazakhstan. I want to go to Ireland. I want to be a missionary to the Czech Republic. I want to follow Christ and glorify Christ and suffer for Christ and die for Christ. But the Bible tells us, before we can follow Christ... Before we can experience the riches of intimate fellowship with Christ, before we can be greatly used by Christ for His purposes, we must first be broken. We must first die in our hearts. Now, broken of what? What must die in our hearts? In our hearts, what must be must we lay down? It's simple. Peter's denial of the Lord is a visual picture of the Christian life that every Christian must be broken of a specific vice in their lives. Every believer must be broken of a specific sin that is pervasive in every person, every believer. What is that? Every person must be first, be broken of pride. They must lay aside their pride before they can follow Christ before they can live for Him, and before they can die for Him. Isn't it true that the core sin of every non-Christian is pride? That's the singular reason why a non-believer will not follow Christ. Well, likewise, the core sin of every Christian, every believer, is also pride. The first and last thing that God deals with us is the sin of pride. It is anathema. It is death to spiritual devotion, clear conscience, and sincere faith. Why? Because pride in its essence is anti-God. It is against God. God says God exalts the humble, but He is opposed to those who are proud. He is against the man who harbors pride in his heart. Why? Because it is self-worship. It is idolatry. It is anti-God. Pride at its core is self-worship. In fact, pride is the breeding ground for all sin. Is the breeding ground for all cults. Every false doctrine, every heresy that's come down the pipe throughout church history came from a heart of a man who was filled with pride, filled with self-worship. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can diagnose ourselves spiritually and say to ourselves, the, the root reason, the core reason of all my struggles, of all my sins, all my failures in my life, the root reason, the core reason, the base reason is, it's my pride. God opposes the proud, but He gives the humble. Well, some of you might say, well, James, not me. You know, I, I'm I'm humble. I'm a humble man. I'm a humble woman. You know, you're preaching the sermon, but not to me. Well, let me... Huey emailed this out several weeks ago. Uh, Dr. Stuart Scott of of Masters uh, College compiled a list of manifestations of pride. It is lengthy. I think it's like like 20 things here. I'm going to read maybe 18 of them. (laughs) 18 manifestations of pride. Um, Let me just... Read these off to you and see how many you see, I see in our, in our hearts. First of all, complaining, complaining against or passing judgment on God. A lack of gratitude. Seeing yourself as better than others. Magnifying one's strengths and, and minimizing others' strengths. Minimizing one's weaknesses and maximizing others' weaknesses. Having an inflated view of your importance, gifts, and abilities. Being focused on the lack of your gifts and abilities. That's a manifestation of pride. Talking too much. Manifestation of pride. Talking too much about yourself. Being consumed with what others think of you. Being unteachable. Being devastated or angered by criticism. Just being hypersensitive. A lack of service, a lack of compassion, being defensive or blame shifting—you can't say like it's like Fonz from Happy Days. Maybe the older generation will understand. But there was one word he couldn't say. What was that word? Arthur Fonzarelli, right? Sorry, he remember right, you guys? Too, too young. <laughs> I'm talking to the older, mature folks here, right? We, can't say, can't admit that they are wrong, can't ask for forgiveness, will not confess sin. How about this? Resisting authority, or being disrespectful, or voicing preferences or opinions when not asked. Right? When not asked, you voice your opinions and preferences. Being impatient or irritable with others. Being jealous or envious. Using others for a selfish benefit. Being deceitful by covering up sins, faults and mistakes. Using attention-getting tactics. Not having close relationships. That's pride. It's pride. It's self-preservation, self-worship. You don't want anyone to come inside your heart and know you. Unwilling to seek help when needed, unwilling to receive help when offered. These are all manifestations of pride. And if you have not laid aside your pride once and for all in your heart, I'll tell you, more work is not going to do it. More Bible study, more retreats, more sermons, it's not going to break pride. Pride is not like other spiritual disciplines. Like, it's not like other spiritual characteristics. Pride is not something we work on. It's not a project. Because everything emanates from our pride, it can only be destroyed by God. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. It is not a work of man. Just like repentance, repentance is of the Lord, humility is also a work of the Lord. This is where Peter's story comes in. Peter's story depicts to us the reality of the Christian life and how God uses everything for the good. And what is that good? God causes every event of our lives to humble us. Everything that happens, He wants to humble us so that we will lay our pride aside. We would die to ourselves. that we might decrease. Why? Because it's a direct correlation. Only when we decrease can Christ increase in our lives. People might think that this is a very um, discouraging, negative study. No, You'll, I think at the end we'll all be encouraged. This is the most encouraging passage in the New Testament, I believe. I love the study, I love the sermon because it encourages my heart, and I believe it'll encourage you as well. Turn with me to Matthew 26. And we want to go to Matthew's Gospel to look at Peter's denials because the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they they really in detail describe Peter's denials. But they leave out Peter's restoration. So John, he's writing the fourth Gospel, the last Gospel to be written. And he's saying, guys, Matthew, good job in your Gospel. You know, Mark and Luke, thumbs up, right? Five stars, Amazon rating. But you guys, you guys left out a key component of Peter's denial of his restoration. So on John's Gospel, he spends two verses on Peter's prophecy of denial. And he just goes bullet point on Peter's actual denial. And he spends a bulk of a whole chapter, John 21, almost all of it, on Peter's restoration. So, I believe in heaven. Peter is giving John a big thanks, you know, every day for writing John's gospel to tell the church that Christ did indeed restore him. But we will study John 21 later in the sermon. But right now, we want to study Peter's denial. And Matthew does just a great job of detailing five signs of Peter's pride manifested in his denials of Christ. Well, again, Matthew 26 same as John thirteen it is late Thursday night, our Lord had just, our Lord had just washed the feet of the disciples He had instituted the lord 's supper. Judas has gone to betray Christ with the cross in sight. Our Lord predicts not just the denial of Judas, not just the denial of a portion of the disciples, but our Lord prophesizes with accuracy, complete accuracy. The betrayal of all of His disciples. Verse 31, This very night you will all fall away on account of Me. You will all fall away is the Greek word scandalizo from where we get the word scandal. The word has a literal meaning of setting a trap, snare, or stumbling block. In the Lord's time it was used metaphorically. Meaning that Christ was saying all of you will stumble. All of you will fall away. Because of me and away from me. He was predicting that each and every one of them, in their hearts and in their actions, will fall away and would desert Christ. While Jesus faced the cross with courage and valor, these disciples will flee, will run away with fear and cowardice. Even as our Lord faced sin, death, and Satan for them, these men would risk nothing for Jesus Christ. Peter's response here and his subsequent actions reveal that pride was reigning in his heart. The first sign of Peter's pride is found in verse 31. Jesus said, This very night you will fall away on account of me. And you know what Peter did? Or you know what Peter didn't do? He didn't listen. This is Christ. This is a man who walked on water. This is the man who raised Lazarus from death. This is God in flesh speaking. Oh, if Peter had just heard these words and listened and said, I'm going to desert you. I'm going to fall away. You're right. I hear this clearly. I repent. Lord, forgive me. Help me in my unbelief. No. let's Peter do that? Only if he had, he would have spared himself so much heartache, so much pain, so much agony. But Peter doesn't listen. He does not pay attention. So blinded by his pride that he does not hear Christ. The first line of pride is not listening. Poor listener. I see that daily in ministry. You know, a good Christian, above all, really, is a good listener. Right? Really, I'm, I'm serious. Like, a good Christian is someone who listens well. Like, who, who's a good son? A good son is a son who listens to his parents. Right? Pays attention. A good daughter. All your wives, what do you want from your husbands? How can he be a better husband? One thing. If you would just listen to God and listen to me. Right? Well, likewise with the wives. How can you be a godly wife? Listen to God, listen to your husband. As a brother or a sister as a Christian, everything begins with listen. Everything begins with listening. That's how we receive grace. How, how are we saved? How do we become Christians? We heard the gospel. Right? When we heard the gospel, and we received it in our hearts, we were saved. Then how are we sanctified? How do we grow as Christians? By continuing to listen to the word of God. Listening is, is a manifestation of a man's humility. Someone who does not listen. is a reflection of a man's Pride again and again. The Bible says, "Listen, Proverbs one eight. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Proverbs four one. Listen, my sons, pay attention. Ecclesiastes five one. Go to the house of God, not to give sacrifices. Go there to listen. Isaiah one ten. Hear, oh." Oh, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law of God, you people of Gomorrah. Matthew 17.10, God's first audible voice to the people. He said when Christ was baptized by John the baptizer, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. He has the words of life. Will you please listen? So what about you? Are you a good listener to the Word of God? Are you a good listener to fellow believers? Are you a good listener to others? Direct correlation to your pride. I think you would agree with me. I don't think I'm being harsh, but you would agree it's rare to find a good listener. Everybody wants to talk. Isn't it? Right? It's rare to find someone who will listen. Listen. You know, some sins you find greater degree in a man, in men. Right? And some sins you find greater degree in women. Well, poor listening. <laughs> Doesn't matter, men or women, it's found equally and liberally in both. Well, Peter, only idea to listen to Christ. Instead, what does he do? Verse 33. Second sign of pride. Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. And that's a sin of self-will. That's pride of unwarranted self-confidence. It's judging others. Not me, Lord. Even if all these men fall away, I never will. What is he saying? He's saying, yes, I know you love John Jesus, but his love for you is weak. He's a weak man. His loyalty to you is not there. Thomas, got a flake. Bartholomew, give me a break. Come on. Out of all these guys, I'm your most loyal disciple. I'm the faithful one. I'm the man. If they all decide you, and they probably will. I, what does he say, never will. That's presumption. That's a promise that no man can keep. In the future that's presumptuousness he's so blinded by pride he's making promises towards the future that book of James says no we can't, we can't say anything about the future but he says I never will so Peter overestimated his love for Christ and he underestimated his own flesh so when, when Peter heard about other disciples falling he didn't say am I going to fall too he said I'm not going to fall Right. Like when we hear about other Christians falling, do we say, that guy was weak, not me. When we hear about other believers falling and straying, do we say to ourselves, man, I'm so glad I'm not that, that, that him or her. When I hear about other pastors straying away, do I say in my heart, man, I'm so glad I love God so much. I'm so glad I have right doctrine and so filled with biblical knowledge. Do we say that? Well, if we do, Paul warns us, 1 Corinthians 10:12. If you think you are standing firm, be careful. Because you're in the most dangerous place. Be careful that you don't fall. Well, Christ responds to Peter's declaration of faithfulness by saying, I tell you the truth, this very night, within six hours, you'll before the rooster crows, you will disown me, not once, not twice, but three times. And Peter responds, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Here's the third sign of pride. Correcting God and correcting God's word. Attitude of defiance. Attitude of rebellion. He's saying, Jesus, you're wrong. You're mistaken. Your judgment is clouded. He's saying, you don't know my heart. You don't know what's in my heart. You don't know my mind. You don't know my loyalty. I have a clear conscience. I know my heart. Christ said, He said, No, you're wrong. I am right. I will never disown you. Then, verse 35, all the other disciples said the same Uh, false teaching, false practice, like gangrene, it spreads. So, all the other disciples agreed Jesus is wrong, and they are right. Well, fourth sign of Peter's pride is seen in the next passage. Go down to verse 37. Briefly here, we see Garden of Gethsemane, Garden Near the Olive Press. Peter takes Peter, James, and John to go and pray. And he says, pray with me. My soul is point of death. Overwhelmed by grief and sorrow, will you pray with me? A stone's throw away. Christ goes and he prays one hour, three times. And he comes back. And each time, what does he find? The disciples, especially Peter, what are they doing? They're sleeping. And Christ said to them, could you not tarry with me for a single hour? Here is the fourth sign of Peter's pride. fourth sign of pride is lack of prayer. Lack of prayer. Prayer life is the barometer of one's pride. I mean, this is the easiest one. See, just consider our prayer lives. A person who is self-confident, self-dependent, a person who is independent of God, programmatic plans, believes in himself, will ra- rarely pr- pray. Rarely, plead to God we'll almost never go on his knees or her knees and ask God for help no, they're so programmatic so methodical so self confident that instead of praying they think they plan they act answer lies within they'll solve it they'll figure it out they'll grind and bear it they'll make it happen they don't pray they don't, they don't, there's a need for prayer right? they're confident he or she lives their life as a spiritual atheist going through all the motions of Christianity, but in the heart, it's like dead man's bones, and is reflected in lack of prayer. Fifth sign of pride is seen in the next text. Judas comes and hypocritically kisses Christ. Last thing they wanted to do is arrest the wrong man. Judas knew who Jesus was, and Judas had a sign, the man I kissed, that is Jesus, arrest him. Well, as soon as Judas does this, and the soldiers approach to arrest Christ, what does Peter do? He takes out his sword, And he struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. And Christ said, Put your sword back in its place. Verse 53. Do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? A Roman legion composed of 6,000 men. So so more than 12 legions of angels will be in excess of 72,000 angels. Christ said, Do you not think I can call on My Father and He will send to Me 72,000 angels at My disposal? If a single angel of God slayed, killed 185,000 Assyrians in Second Kings 19, the power of 72,000 angels is unimaginable. We're not talking about, again, those precious moment stalls angels, right? Talk about false advertising, you know, with big eyes and little wings and saving puppy dolls with band-aids, I mean... <laughs> That's not angels of Scripture. Angels of Scripture are their messengers and their warriors. And Christ said, "Peter, what are you doing with that little steak knife, right? You <laughs> think what are you going to do?" And Peter saying, "Jesus, don't get, don't be afraid. Don't get scared. Okay, hold my hand. Get behind me. I'll protect you. Right? You're in safe hands with Peter." The audacity, the pride, the arrogance of Peter to think that Christ needed his help. Well, that's the final mark of pride, isn't it? To think that God needs us. That like God needs me for Cornerstone. God needs me for my family. God needs me for Czech Republic, Ireland, or Kazakhstan, or for the world. That without me, and my family won't make it. Without me, my church, without me, this world will fall apart. I'm the pivotal one. God needs my help to do His work. Christ says, "What are you doing? I don't need your help. I don't need your protection. No one is irreplaceable. No one is essential for God's work." Well, Peter is. A, Christ is arrested. All the disciples desert and flee, except for Peter and John. Peter sticks around, and we know the story very well. Peter follows around, follows and. In verse uh, 57, Peter follows, and Peter sees that Christ is, verse 66, spat on. They st- struck him with their fists. Others slapped him. Peter wasn't ready because he wasn't listening, because he wasn't in prayer. He's spiritually not ready. And then this little servant girl says, and says, hey, you're with Christ. And Peter says, no, I wasn't. First denial. Another servant girl comes. Verse 71, You are with Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 72, I don't know the man. After a little while, another said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to bring down curses upon himself. And he swore, I don't know the man. The strongest denial. And immediately, verse 75, a rooster crowed. Verse seventy-five. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus spoken to him, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. In the parallel passage, Luke's gospel, and Luke is helped in his writing of his gospel by Peter himself. And Luke writes in Luke twenty-two sixty-one that the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. As soon as the rooster crowed, Christ across the courtyard with his face bloodied, faced with the saliva of his torturers turned and looked at Peter and their eyes met. They saw each other. Verse 75, Peter went outside and he wept bitter tears. He wept bitterly. Peter remembered his boast, his pride, saw his arrogance firsthand and then he saw firsthand the shame of his own sins. Well, I've been there. I've met Christ in the courtyard of my own denials. And when I first became a Christian, I remember thinking to myself, um, "I'm never gonna sin again." You know, watch out, Billy Graham. Here comes James Shin. Right? The world has never seen a Christian like James Shin. Now they will see the glory of the Lord. You know, now they will experience true Christianity. And how many times have I been humiliated? by my sinfulness, by my utter depravity. And all that time, God was calling me to lay down my pride, to die to myself, in my spirit, my heart. God was every time dealing with my pride. You know, when I first became a Christian, I thought I was a small sinner. More and more, I realized that I am so much worse than I am a great sinner. Well, turn back with me to John 21. The time that we have left, we will look at Peter's restoration, only recorded by the Gospel of John. They're in the Sea of Galilee. Christ, it's neat. Like, um, when Christ appealed to the disciples, in, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke's the only one who records this. He tells, Christ tells the disciples, go to Galilee and wait for me. Tell the disciples, and Christ said, tell Peter. Christ singles out Peter and says, tell Peter to come to Galilee and wait for me there. I will meet him there. So the disciples are there, and Peter, he's waiting for Christ. He's got an appointment with Jesus. And he's thinking, am I going to get the mother of all rebukes? <laughs> right? I mean, am I just going to just get it by Jesus? And they're just waiting and waiting. He can't handle it. I'm going to go out and fish fishing all the disciples go out fishing they're fishing in the morning they haven't caught anything the stranger walks along on the shore and he says have you caught any fish friends and he says no net. they do they catch fish and then John recognizes who this man is and he says to Peter it's Jesus what does Peter do Peter sees Jesus and he puts on his outer cloak his outer garment and he jumps in the water And he starts swimming towards Jesus, towards the shore. I mean, usually you take off your clothes to go for a swim. But Peter's not thinking. He just puts on this outer garment and he begins to swim towards Christ. Why? Because Peter loves Christ. But once ashore, Peter cannot approach him. Because of the reminder, the memory of the guilt of his sins. Well, when the disciples come on shore, Jesus is making breakfast. Jesus says, go bring the fish that you have caught. And then John records that they have caught, they caught 153 fish, right? 153 fish. Now we got to ask, why, verse 11, why 153? I mean, the main reason is to say that John, John is saying, I'm an eyewitness. I was there. I know facts about this that only an eyewitness would know. And I know to the point of how many fish we caught. So, I'm an eyewitness writing this. That's the first reason. But, secondly, I mean, if Jesus is there, why count fish? Who cares? 100, 150, 200. Who's counting? Well, This is James Shin's interpretation of the white parts. All right, this is not in the Bible, but I believe Peter went while the disciples were having breakfast with Christ. Peter went, and because of his guilt, he couldn't come back to the fellowship with Christ. He sat alone in the boat. What was he doing? He was counting fish. John's like, Peter, why are you counting? Forget it. Just come back. And Peter just, he isolates himself because he's so riddled with guilt. And when he's done counting, he brings some back and says, yeah, we caught 153. And then Christ approaches him, verse 15, and Christ said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? What is he saying? What is he asking? He's saying, Peter, do you love me more than you love these men? Is he asking, do you love me more than you love fishing? Or is he asking, do you love me more than these men love me? Do you really love me more? That's the question. Why? Because the last time they talked, that's what Peter said. Last time Peter said, even if i deny you, I never will. So Christ is saying, is that true? Is that what you really did? Do you really love me more than these other men? Christ says, Do you agape me more than these other men? And Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I Phileo you. And you know, there's a whole argument about whether agape and Phileo are synonymous or they're different. In the Gospel of John, John uses them synonymously. But here in this context of John 21, there has to be a difference. By the context, right? I mean, Christ says, do you agape me? And Peter says, I phileo you. He doesn't use the same word. In the light of the fact that this is the first time they've talked after Peter's denial, there has to be significance in the fact that Peter uses, not agape, unconditional love, he uses phileo word, phileo love, deep affection, emotional affection. You know, I phileo you. Christ asks again, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Peter says again, Lord, you know all things. You know I fill you. And notice, how Peter appeals to the omniscience of Christ. Before, in his pride, he said, Jesus, you don't know anything. You don't know my heart. I have a clear conscience. I know myself. But now, what does he say? He says, Lord, you know everything. You know my heart. I appeal Yes, I denied you. Yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I'm unworthy. But Lord, you know my heart. You know that I love you. I, I can't show it by my life. My life is pretty sad. But you look at my heart. You know my heart. You know I love you. Christ asks a third time, Peter, do you delay on me? Do you truly have deep affection for me? Peter answers, Lord, you know all things. You know everything. You know that I phileo you. Christ called them back to ministry. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Peter was calling. Christ was calling Peter to lead the church and to shepherd the church. You know, if I could choose a pastor between John or Peter or Thomas or Peter or Bartholomew or Peter, I would choose Peter. Who would you want as a shepherd? Like your pastor, your mentor, your discipler. I would choose Peter. Because he was broken. Like, you know, he knows. He's experienced it. So because he was humbled, Christ says, Now, now you're ready to follow me. Now you're ready to serve me. Now you're ready to lead the church. And now he says, end, you're ready to die for me. When you're young, you dress yourself. When you're old, someone else will dress you, indicating the kind of death that Peter would endure. What kind of death is that? That Peter would be martyred for the Christian faith. And church history tells us that's exactly what happened. That Peter was crucified upside down. They gave an option to deny their faith and be saved. Peter said, no, I love Christ. I will not recant. I will not deny my faith. He asked one request, crucify me upside down. said, there will be no mistake between the cross of Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God who died for man, and the sinner Peter, who was saved by Christ, crucified me upside down, there will be no mistake, Christ prophesied one day, Peter, you will agape me. You will love me above all. You will unconditionally love me by giving your life for me. What a great, encouraging story for all of us. Well, what about you? Do you want to follow Christ? Do you want to serve Him? Do you want to lead the church? Do you want to die for Christ? Well, before you can do that, there needs to be a first death. Has pride died in your heart? Have you laid aside pride in your heart? Have you been crucified with Christ, where it's no longer you who live, but Christ lives in you? Lord, that He might deal a death blow our pride in our hearts that we might a oh god pay, love him one day. Second final thought is Christian sin. Brothers and sisters, you know, I'm preaching to you not as John, but as Peter. I've experienced firsthand. I know from Scripture, I know through my own life, Christian sin and even sin greatly. Christianity is not about not sinning. Christianity is about repenting because of our sins. It's not Oh, I sin. Oh, I I gotta repent. I can't wait till I'm done with repentance. You know, I can't wait till next month where oh, I'll be done with repentance and I can just be a Christian. No, Christianity is repentance. There is no end to repentance. That's all it is because we're sinners. Christians sinned. Peter sinned, but he did not fail to follow Christ. In humility, he professed his love for Christ. And thirdly, where is your boldness for Christ? Appreciate uh, those who are bold for the gospel. It means that they're humble. A prideful man, because he or she is so concerned about his or her own reputation, his or her own being liked or accepted, that they will not be bold for the gospel. A humble man or woman will be bold for the gospel. We see that in Acts chapter 2. Peter stands before the rulers of Israel, and he says, you killed the Messiah. You crucified him. What happened? Forty days. What happened to Peter? Peter. How did he become from a coward running away from a servant girl into a, a bold lion of the faith confronting the religious system of Israel? What happened? He laid aside his pride. He died on himself. Christ, Christ humbled him. Because he was humble, he didn't care about himself, only Christ. Therefore, he was able to be bold for the gospel. Where is your boldness? The gospel that saves lost sinners. Father, we do thank you for Peter's story. We thank you that, that even in this low point of Peter's, prop, Peter's denials, we thank you that the valley is the place of clearest vision. That when we are humbled, when we are broken and we are repentant, that is the highest place. That is the most lofty place. Lord, that you would do a spiritual unique work in each heart of everyone here and that we would lay aside lay down our pride we would die to ourselves so that we might matterly live for you in Jesus name Amen